0: away from the grim news feed of war crimes by the butchers of Butcher or Porn in Parliament and all the other stories that we have coming at us 24-7. Well, before we take a pair of scissors to this section of the Bible and cut it out, let me just reread verses 12 to 15 again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. I was grateful for the way Joe stressed that word again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer. I'm calling this first point the wonder of salvation. The old naval rope in England, we had a a place in Shelford a hundred years or so ago where they made ropes, but the old naval rope um, that made England famous used to have running inside it along the full length of the rope a scarlet cord. It was there as a marker of the genuineness and the quality of old English naval rope. And wherever you cut the rope... The red strand could be seen. You'd find it there. But I wonder if you spot the scarlet cord hidden in Judges 3, which you've probably seen elsewhere in the Bible. What's the common theme? God did something in verse 15, which he does repeatedly, again and again. He gave them a deliverer, it says, which could have been translated, he gave them... A savior. And let me tell you, that was something wonderful. A wonder of salvation. Eighteen years under the thumb of a foreign power. That's longer than some people here have been alive. Imagine if you're under 18. All your life, you've been hungry and scared. You've been knowing that any moment might bring death and destruction from the Moabite raiders for your village, for your family. And then at last, God sends a deliverer, a saviour. It's wonderful. Now, that's exactly at one with the major theme that runs throughout the Bible. From the earliest chapters of the Bible, God has been committed to saving, to rescuing his people from their enemies, including the arch enemy, the enemy in our own breast human sin in the human heart. It's there in your heart, it's there in mine. And God delights to save. In fact, God would come one day himself in person as the great saviour to defeat evil in the person of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again to demonstrate that sin was well and truly defeated. If the human race needs God himself to come as our deliverer, then surely it tells you what a mess we must be in. And Judges, this book of the Bible, makes that point really well. So we began last week looking at the cycle of sin that there is in this book of Judges. Where God provides for his people, then... Sorry, I ought to do it this way around, should I? Clockwise. Clockwise to you. Then, what happens next? Remember? They forget God... Turn to other gods. And in judgment, at that point, he lets them see how bad their choices are. He gives them up to sin and its consequences. He says, look, if you want to live without me, then just have a taste of how awful that life is. Until, next point on the cycle, they cry out for him to have mercy. And wonderfully, he saves. Until the whole cycle repeats itself again and again, that word that uh, Joe emphasized for us. I wonder if you noticed it as she was doing so. Let me just uh, bring it out again. Verse 12, again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It's the cycle repeating itself again and bottom of the, the cycle again the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them, this is verse 15, a deliverer. I said it's a cycle in fact you'd probably more likely call it a cyclone because it 's actually a sort of um, a, a, a sort of whirlwind, a, a vortex, a spiral down that gets more destructive, more awful each time it happens, and this sort of vortex of evil going down and getting worse each time is is because each time, if you think about it, each time they're rescued, it's a further slap in the face of God that they turn away from him again. And they turn away. You think, how could they do that? Well, these are the dark ages of Israel's history. Again, God comes to the rescue. And even then, again, his people turn against him. But that in itself, if you think about it, may be of some value to us. If our world news is causing us at the moment to wake up to the danger of evil and we begin to see how bad it is for humanity to have a taste of our own medicine, where does living for ourselves take us and our world? Answer, look at the burned-out apartment blocks or a burned-out planet. If that happens in in our world situation so that we cry out to God... Well, Judges speaks to that situation. We're in the Dark Ages too. And we need a book like this in our Bibles. World news or even maybe personal news. I don't know. We spend a lot of our time convincing ourselves that we don't need a savior. And even in church, we actually end up believing that we've all got it together. We're fine. So we forget about his mercy And how much we needed it, and how much we continue to need it. But the reality is that this salvation that God gives us is really amazing precisely because we're so deeply flawed. Even maybe, especially the ones of us who come here week by week. And we've tasted God's kindness, and the question ought to be how could we of all people run away from God? yet again and again, we do that. Maybe not in spectacular ways. Maybe it's often as much more subtle than that. We just drift from him. But when we're honest, it dawns on us, or maybe we're painfully aware, we're doing something that hurts other people. We hate ourselves for it. We promise ourselves we won't do it again and again. And we sort of sign the contract with God in indelible ink. And then before the ink is dry, we've done the same thing as the guys in in Judges did. Now, then, in that situation, we might think, well, how can I possibly go back to God again? And the devil whispers in our ears at that point. He says, you've really had it this time. Well, that's why I wanted to stress, and I'm glad Joe did, that word again in Judges chapter 3. Yes, again, they did evil. But verse 15, again, they cried out to the Lord, and he sent a deliverer. It's wonderful, wonderful news. And if it seems irrelevant to you at this stage, can I just get you to make a mental note about this? There's somebody sitting there saying, yeah, 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 blah, 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 God is our Savior. I heard that before. Well, I hope you remember it when you need to know it in the future. Remember the book of Judges when you think, oh, this time I've gone too far. There is no way back now. Remember that word again. You could actually fall still further and God could still save you. So remember it when God lets you feel just what it's like to leave him out of life. What will it take, you to, make, what will it take to make you cry out to God again? Well, the amazing thing is he takes action when we do cry out to him. That's my point on the wonder of salvation. But the second point from this story is this, the weirdness of salvation. Just look how verse 15 goes on. And I think if we were reading it with the Israelites the first time they read this, we'd get this. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer. Ehud, I mean, the name is weird enough, isn't it, to start with, or it feels that way to us. A left-handed man the son of Gera, the Benjamite. He Israelites right, sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, and then the story carries on. So he's going to go to Eglon, the king of Moab, in the language of the Godfather films. He's going to make him an offer he can't refuse. But we're meant to notice the weirdness of this salvation. It's the smallest tribe, Benjamin, and apologies to some of you here, He's a lefty, and presumably he's gone to the, uh, the James Bond supplier of the day, the equivalent of Q, who's produced a specially designed sword. If you're squeamish, look away now. Um, I take it, by the way, the whole sword, handle and all, disappears into Eglon's layers of lard, that the sword was specially designed without that hilt bit that goes across so the bit that goes between the blade and the handle, there's a sort of hilt, isn't there? That's not there, so that actually, the whole thing could sink in. It also made it easier, if you think about it, to conceal this particular dagger. It'd be about 18 inches, a cubit's this distance. So 18 inches. It'd make it easier to conceal if it didn't have that sticky-outy bit, because he could just strap it to his leg. He's left-handed, so it's going to be strapped to his right leg, so that he can just go like that and do the deed and strapped to the leg while well, no security officials likely to look there and spot this it would be hidden one moment under his robes and hidden the next moment in Eglon's tummy maybe the tribute was a gift for his tummy too it sounds a bit that way in the story anyway that bit of the plan works well um, here is our produce fresh for your table Oh, great, Eglon. And the stabbing happens. And then once the men get safely away, safely away Ehud goes back for the next stage after the, uh, the food's been there. Sorry, I've, I've, I've run ahead in the story, haven't I? The tribute gets paid, the men go, and then the next bit happens. Ehud says, look, I've got a secret message for you. Well, that's enough to get everybody there. Do you want a secret? We're all all ears when somebody says, I've got a secret I have to tell you. And then it's a secret from God, even more interesting. Only this message turns out to be slightly more pointed than uh, Eglon was expecting. And if you're squeamish, look away again. The exit wound from the stabbing means that Eglon's bowels are on the floor of the palace apartment his insides are on the outside where they're not supposed to be meanwhile ehud locks the door he takes the key and it must be something like this he abseils down a zip wire that q has given him for his escape and then the weirdness of the story has one more twist as the camera tracks round to focus on eglon's servants all of them waiting outside the locked door go on Get the key and go inside. But but what if he's, he's, you know, busy or something? Come on, he can't be that busy for this length of time. If you won't go, I'll go. Are you sure about that? I mean, do you remember what happened when so-and-so barged in once before? And all the while, Ehud is getting further and further away on his E-type camel or whatever it was. And then they're talking more, come on, this is ridiculous And in the end, they go in and find their king dead. You feel like we're listening to the Israelites telling the story years later. Give us the Ehud story again, they're saying to each other, telling the story, laughing their heads off as they hear it. It's so deliciously weird and wonderful, isn't it? You almost miss the last bit, actually, because we focus on the bit that takes a long time in the story is the whole sort of killing of Eglon bit. The last bit's the key bit, isn't it? He goes straight onto his mobile phone. He gets his troops together. Look, the commander-in-chief is dead. So the Moabite army is finished as well. And once his guys, the Ephraimites, are all stationed at the key river crossing over the Jordan, of course he's right. Punchline in verse 30. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. So 18 years of misery open out onto 80 years of peace. All through, weird. Ehud, the left-handed Benjamite, assassin, with that secret message from God hidden in his leggings. There he is. He's alone in the heart of the enemy's king, enemy king's palace. And then the other weird bit of the story, the king who gets stuck in the lavatory, or so everyone imagined. It's a salvation, but the weirdness of that salvation, who would have thought it? But, of course, you know and I know that there is an even stranger salvation story in the Bible, that one where a solitary figure stumbles up that hill with the enemies all around him outside Jerusalem, and then he's stretched out on the cross, and his hands and sides are pierced, There he is naked, alone for hours, abandoned by God, with people looking on puzzled and confused at this weird salvation they don't understand, while a wonderful work of salvation is achieved. And that brings not just 80 years of peace, but an eternity of peace for everyone who trusts and follows Jesus. A wonderful salvation, but a weird one. Who would ever imagine that God would do it this way? If the Bible didn't explain it like this, would anybody ever guess that this is how God's rescue comes to us? And can you honestly imagine someone making this up? I can't. But you know that with a story like Ehud and Eglon in the Bible, we can follow that scarlet thread onwards to Jesus Christ and say, oh, this is a pattern that we've seen before. So this evening in Judges, we've seen a weird portrait of the rescue that would one day come. Ehud entered alone into the very heart of the enemy palace and came out again victorious. And God's done something even more wonderful. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ entered all on his own into hell itself for us. And then came out victorious. So what do we learn from the even greater rescue story? Well, learn from it how to deal with the downward spiral of sin in our own day. That's what we should do. Our own contribution to the evil in the world is much, much worse than we think it is. I wonder if you believe that. Let me just say it again, just so it sinks in. What we contribute to the evil in the world, our contribution is much, much worse, much, much more serious than we think it is. Are you prepared to admit that? Because it's only when we admit admit it that we realize that God's love is mightier still. He can deal with our sin, even our repeat cycles of sin, if we turn to him and cry out to him. So the only real question is, will we cry out to him for mercy? I'm going to pause now because the next bit of our service is a confession. And Tom's going to lead us. It's an opportunity for us to cry out in exactly that way.